Dear Founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. There are so many reasons for you to be excited about today's guest. Not only is she a six-time Emmy Award winner, not only did she direct a movie about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life, not only has she directed some of the latest promos for The Bachelor, not only does she show up unapologetically and make her own rules, not only is she an amazing mom, but Haley Geffen is just as badass as she sounds, and I am lucky to have known her for more than three decades. Haley Geffen is a six-time Emmy Award-winning director and filmmaker with a focus on comedy, celebrities, athletes, and underrepresented voices. She's also the co-founder of Coed Studios based in Brooklyn, New York. She's a spitfire, so funny, so intelligent, and you are going to love the way that she shares lessons in today's episode through the stories that she tells. She's directed projects for some of the biggest brands, including Netflix, Crest, Cheetos, and Dove, She co-directed the 2021 NBA All-Star Game Open featuring Vice President Kamala Harris and Michael B. Jordan. And as I mentioned previously, she was hand-selected by NBC to direct two long-form shows centered around the life and legacy of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Haley also directed and enjoyed a prosperous 2020 film film festival run with her short film, Hey Girl, garnering 12 global awards, including 2020's Best Shorts Humanitarian Award. Haley's celebrity work, wow, this list is long, includes Michael B. Jordan, Kamala Harris, Dakota Johnson, Jimmy Fallon, Olivia Coleman, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Kirsten Dunst, Peter Sarsgaard, LeBron James, Tom Brady, Seth Meyers, Mark Wahlberg, Mandy Moore, Kim Kardashian, Alec Baldwin, Sean Combs, Kobe Bryant, Jamie Foxx, John Legend, Drake Usher, Alicia Keys, and many, many more. Haley has two daughters and a husband, and in true Haley comedic fashion, she says that she keeps them all in a small zoo in Brooklyn under the care of her dog Gizmo. Today's episode is a very special one. As I mentioned, I've known our guest for a very, very long time. We have history in the best way possible, and my reconnection with her a few years ago has brought nothing but joy to my adult life. Haley is one of the best storytellers I know. She's hilarious. You are going to laugh in today's episode, and you are also going to feel connected, and you are going to feel the empathy that she shares through the many circumstances that got her to where she is today. While she does this for a living in film in her everyday life, today you're going to get a taste of Haley and her animation through this podcast The lessons that you're going to take away from her anecdotes are like none other, and I am honored to have had her share them here. Today, you will truly feel like you're joining two old friends for lunch during this incredible conversation, because that you are. Come on in and meet my friend, Haley Geffen. 
All right. Today on Dear Found Her, we have a very, very special guest. And I say that because I have known her since, I don't know, we were till, since the beginning of time. I have known Haley Geffen since we were in elementary school. Her bat mitzvah theme was Haley's Comet. She thinks it's funny. I remember I didn't even go to her bat mitzvah because she was the cool older Haley Berger at the time. Um, but I am so lucky to have reconnected with her this year. Like you heard in the intro, Haley is a powerhouse. She is a film director. She's won six Emmys. She has her own company called Coed Studios, and she has done some wildly amazing projects. So Haley, welcome to Dear Founder. Thank you, Lindsay. I have equal things to say about you. We'll get to that. <laughs> and I'm so excited that you're here, and I'm so excited for you to share your story because it is an amazing one. So why don't you take us back? How did this start? How did you get to where you are? Tell us everything. I now feel like my story started in the 1920s. And I honestly, I have reached this um, like wonderful elder part of my career. And now usually this is a time when people are like, but wait, you look so young. Lindsay. <laughs> wait, you look so young. No, I, people don't say that to me anymore. So I used you do to still look so young. No, no, no. But the truth is I've always had to overcome um, looking young. And that's like a major part of my career. It's a major part of who I am, life decisions. Um, I have red hair. It makes me look younger, which is a good thing. And thank you to my mom and genetics for giving me some of those natural things. But I have aged and, and that's more just about <clears throat> wisdom. And so people no longer like accuse me of being, and I say accused because that's how it felt my whole career of being like the intern. And, and I was people's bosses at that time. And I've I'm always come across uh, being on my back foot of like defensive and like ready to like say who I am and um and I've always experienced that and I wonder if those are the things that Lindsay that you remember about me is that you know I'm short I've got red hair everyone there's always all these reasons for people to like challenge you and um, I think I just came out swinging into the world. And I don't know if the word is feisty. Would you, I mean, you know me in, as a mature person now. I would say that you're feisty, but I just, I, when I think of you, I just think of you as a strong, confident woman who, you know, really has done what they wanted with their career. And, you know, I know, and I know it took you a bit to get here, but, you know, when you, you told me before we hopped on today, you know, things that are going on and projects that you're yeah, doing right. and, I think that you do what you want and um, not what great, you have to. Yeah. Okay. So that's a great way of setting it up. I do. And many people have said that to me that I have created this world around me as opposed to the world being created around me. Okay. So, and that's always something that when people tell me like, oh, I can't do that. Or I can't ask my boss that. I'm always like, what do you mean? This is your world and your life. Don't be like crazy rogue, be respectful, be this is going to make you successful. You tell people this is how my life is going to go. Okay. So I'll, I'll start, um, in the twenties, but it was actually <laughs> 1999. What a good year to start. I started actually in college. I went to Michigan. I was in a sports marketing program. And the so same I've, one that I was in. Yes. So I've, I've always been around athletes and professional athletes and I played sports 
playing sports has nothing to do with anything that I do now, other than you learn how to commit to things. You commit to everything you do and you don't show up late. Okay. So be an athlete, lesson number one. Um, so I got my first job in college and I was working for ABC sports and I used to travel around the country, which is so bananas for someone who was in college. I worked on like, um, very luckily landed on like the A crew of ABC sports and I was in college. And that was because I was a scab, which is such a funny word for the ABC crew that, um, couldn't show up to a Michigan game. I worked at a Michigan football game. And that was that moment. I said, this is going to be my career. After that year of like traveling and being ridiculous during college, I went to Hawaii for the NFL Pro Bowl. I mean, this is also ridiculous. Um, I got a job at ESPN. I met enough people in that year um, that I went, I got a job at ESPN. I, I, I worked at ESPN for nine years. Um, in both the middle of nowhere, Connecticut, and also I managed to tell people I will go to New York City and work on whatever show goes to New York City, which they would allow like four people a year at the whole network to like go work on a show in New York City. I was tired of living in bumblefuck Connecticut, and I knew that that was not going to be my life. Um, so I went through an era of ESPN that was a very transitional, like, Disney bought it. ESPN, we had a very bad reputation for the people that work there. It was um, crazy hours and sexual harassment. So I went through like the whole gamut of, you know, transition. It was a pre Me Too movement that was really sparked, I believe, in the sports world, um, which still exists in the sports world, but the sports world started to address it a little bit sooner. Uh, and I was really young and I didn't really understand it. And I was still in the zone of like, I, I was trying to fit in, in the locker room environment, a true one. Not only was I like day to day interacting with all these men, professional athletes, former managers, um, people in the top of their like journalism classes all over the country, but I was actually in locker rooms. So I worked at ESPN and then I ended up leaving ESPN and going to work for TNT and Turner, I stayed in the same world. I was still working in sports. I worked for the NBA, which is my favorite of all time. Um, I love working for the NBA. I love the culture of it. I love the players. I love the music, the hip hop. Lindsay might remember this. I was a DJ and a hip hop dancer back in the day. I do remember so back in the day. It always <laughs> feels like my life was coming together when I started doing more in the NBA. I love the players. I love all of it. So, um, and that's when I started making commercials. So when you work in television, which I did for so many years, um, there's like two paths you can take. One is you can produce TV and the other is you can go in a creative world, which is aligns more with directing uh, storytelling, narratives, scripted, unscripted, getting to know athletes and celebrities. And that's the direction I was always going in. So when I got to Turner TNT, it was this, the, the world of when business collided with sports, which was, we are going to co-brand everything you do. So this was like around 2008. And so major brands started, um, working directly with sports and the networks. This is like before you started seeing 
an Apple phone. And uh, no, it was before okay. social media too. It was before social media. So this was ways for brands to get in and to these live, highly viewed broadcasts. And that's always going to be sports. So 17 million viewers for every NFL game. How can we get our brand in there? So I, this was coincidence. I ended up working on these teams, both at ESPN and Turner. And um, at the beginning, a creative person feels that's a very big sellout to put a brand in anything creative. So I remember I wasn't as wise then. I wasn't thinking about money. And I just remember being like, um, I can never show anyone this. I was the first thing I did was at a Cubs game, to be honest. And oh, it was funny. it was we were like we had to get in the, the tractors. Whatever. Uh, I don't even remember the name of it, but we had to like get them in this the story I was doing about Wrigley and the Ivy wall. And I, I just remember saying to the people at Wrigley and the ESPN people, like, this is awful. Like we, we are doing something so wrong with the world. But obviously I was in my twenties. I became much more savvy and I really loved, and I, I became uh, an ambassador, not an official one. I'm just calling myself that to brand storytelling and brand filmmaking. So I always tell people, I'm very proud of it, that I started in brand storytelling, which is connecting brands to partners and on a very high level for millions and millions of viewers. Yes, Lindsay. I was just going to say, so what was the moment that you were like, I'm going to go do this on my own? Um, okay, you. so when I, when I started making commercials, I was making commercials for Gatorade, Volkswagen, Avis, like major brands, okay, but I was still attached to these networks. They owned me, not in a bad way, a lovely way. Um, they curated my career. They gave me these opportunities. I got to do these big commercials without having to be up against this really weird, like very competitive film and commercial world. So I did that. Um, and I was able to build a reel for myself because if you're in your twenties or thirties, you, you're really not, I mean, age really, to be honest, doesn't have a whole lot to do with it now, but then it did. Um, when you're like 28 years old or 30 years old, you're not getting booked on these major commercials the way that you can now. Opportunities are just bigger and brighter now. Um, so I had a full reel with all these major brands and sports and athletes and celebrities. And so I, it's very unusual, but you can make a switch and you can go on to uh, the film side. So I was in TV and then I wanted to switch to film. So I did a couple of years at Discovery Channel. It was not for me. Um, and then I started, I still haven't gotten on my own yet. I got, I went to a company where they, it's, it's a production company and you build your directing career. And I went there as a creative director and a director and I was having babies then. And I don't know, and I'm sure there's many amazing women who have done it. You're one of them who can go through those years of having babies, being pregnant, making babies, all that, and then start your own company and career. I was not brave enough to do it then. So I spent. That has nothing to do with it. Really and truly, it doesn't. Like your, your business, you know, th the reason I did it was I built a business out of that life stage. So it's a that's a very different situation than the one that you're in. You're in a world where you know, you're a minority and you're trying to prove yourself on a daily basis. And that's a very different um, scenario than, you know, me building a business out of being pregnant. So it's I understand 
but still, now that I've done both, uh, amazing to women during that time. Like I just wanted to feel, I, and I don't want to say secure because no, no one ever, the best advice I'll give is never feel too secure in anything you're doing. Always feel a little bit on the edge. Right. But during that time that I was pregnant, um, I have a million uh, amazing anecdotes about, I worked on Sunday night football for all seven of those years that I was tr- having, making babies, pregnant, miscarriage. I've got the craziest stories of all time. I, I don't think could be beat in many scenarios about um, I was on the set of Sunday Night Football as a director and a creative director, and there's hundreds of people there and the highest level person at the network. Um, and I was seven and a half months pregnant in L.A. I'm going to tell a funny story just to humble everyone. I go I come on to set and this is with Carrie Underwood. I used to do the open for Sunday Night Football every year. And it's a huge it's like it's like the biggest thing you can imagine for the NFL, it's like all the best players in the league get together. We're on set in LA for a week and Carrie Underwood's there and all the executives and everyone's doing interviews and their whole teams are there. Anyways, I walk in, I've been, I wrote the whole thing. I'm like a major part of this. I've memorized every shot. No one knows what's happening more than I do of, I don't know, 500 people that are there. So everyone needs me. And I walk in and I'm like, me seven and a half months pregnant. (laughs) Is like Wait, for those else. of you guys who are listening, Haley is very petite. Haley, how tall are you? Five feet. Five feet. Yeah. Okay. So, so Haley, seven months pregnant is everyone. You know, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> when I was six months pregnant, everyone was like, you're due tomorrow. And I'm like, no, no, no. I've got three more months, four more months. So, so I'm on set. And not only that, I have to be like 12, 14 hours on my feet. And I first I had to fly across the country, which was like, I immediately regret this. But I was still in like the fighting for everything stage of my career, even though I was 36. Okay. So I get there and like everyone is just like, wow. Uh, my producer assigned a PA with a fan just to walk with me everywhere. The executive producer of Sunday Night Football spent like the whole time like uh, with his hand on my, he's not a soft human, but like they were you know, they, they sort of soften when this is happening. They're like, wow, I can't believe what you've been doing for us this whole time. And then they see me and they're like, holy fuck. Okay. So, so that was like a very challenging part of my career. But the funny story is we were at this huge soundstage um, in LA and I would, it's funny, but it's not, I, I had to work so hard and be so focused, but I was so gassy. So I had just flown across the country and no time to spare. I would spend like every couple hours, I'd just walk around this stage, just like farting. And I (laughs) occasionally I would bring my head of production. I was like, just walk with me. And like, that's like, and then like the next morning we would wake up and we would like, I was like, I need a, it was those phase of the, the croissant donut thing. You remember that? Whatever those were. Yes. The, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. Whatever that thing was called. And we would wake <laughs> up in the morning and we would like, I'm like, I need one of those. And we would like, we'd eat one on the way to set and we would start fighting. And I'm crying and he's crying. And we were just like, oh my God. He's like, I feel like I'm pregnant with you. <laughs> so it's like a whole experience. And so I went through the, and then every time we would be done at six o'clock, I would disappear like Cinderella. And then everyone from set would be like, where, what's going on with you? And I was like, I'm fucking pregnant. Like, it's just like, 
you, but you have to hide it, but you also can't hide it. So when I had my, and I, when I had my second kid, I felt like I no longer needed to prove myself in that manner. And I was like, I am no longer flying past five months. I am going to direct this Sunday night football open from my couch. I was also like 38 weeks pregnant when we did the one for Mila. Um, and so I, I proved myself enough. So to get to where I am right now, um, after seven years of doing these insane things that I did, I had a miscarriage at Puff Daddy's house. True story. Oh so all these things that we do as women, that's why when I say to you, holy shit, I could never have been on my own and doing what I'm doing until now. So um, I eventually left that company, which I love, and we still have a great relationship. Um, I did realize that I was making a lot of money for them. And as I started to do the math, I realized I could at minimum make exactly what I'm making for them on my own. And it's just this, this thing that you have to put in your head to say, I'm going to just do it. But the scary part when you have the two kids is you're like, oh shit, now I have two kids. My family relies on my income so much that it's not just me and my husband anymore or us and our baby. Babies are not as expensive. So I was like, okay, I'm just, I have to do it. I was sort of forced into the situation to go on my own because I did accept another job at a company that fell through. Um, and so I was like, and I moved my whole family back to Brooklyn and I started a company on a big leap of faith. And that was four years ago. That was in 2018. I just want to take a minute to say thank you. In just a few short months, this podcast has reached some incredible milestones, namely helping so many of you. From founding, growing, and selling my first company and now helping others to do the same, so many of you trust me right here on the podcast, but also through my classes, my one-on-one programs, and my social media. Your belief in me is so appreciated, and now I can help you to grow your own personal brand or your company's community through content, social media, partnerships, email, collaborations, and more. Just click the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Grab 30 minutes with me. We can chat, connect. I'd love to get to know you and your business and perhaps even have the chance to work with you. Thanks so much for being here. Okay. So you have your company. And yeah. I, I mean, you have done some really, really amazing projects. So can you just kind of give us like a little glimpse into the type of work that you do? Because I want the listeners to hear really just how big and badass your company is. So when my company started, um, I already had spent seven years really curating the people like in my world that I worked with. So, and I always had this theory, which I think made me successful, which was, I was going to say yes to everything. And I've always done that, but I, it's not where I'm at right now. So I just want to say with building the business, I wanted to maintain that and successful business, whether like the glamour of what I do and being a director and meeting all these amazing people, the same, you know, Lindsay gets to meet all these amazing people do too. Um, it's really about the client and the customer service that you deliver to people. And whether that was my psycho boss on sports center or now it's like the clients my crest clients there's always been one constant theme for me which is that i cater to the client 
And I mastered that. So when I started my, I want to stop you for a second, because in a service-based business, it is imperative that you cater to the client. And, and when I see people go wrong, it's because they, they don't, they stop or they, they take things for granted and you just can't. Or they take it personal. Yes. Or they take it personal. Exactly. So, so the, the idea of learning what it takes to have um, proper customer service, which I don't know if you're like me, Lindsay, but if someone does not provide and I'm their client, um, some sort of customer service or some sort of like, you're right, I'm wrong. And not to say that that's how it has to be. I'm always like, oh my God, like I own a business. I've been, you know, I can't believe. It's very funny you say that I just had a situation where I was the client and I, and I, didn't really like the service I got, especially after I said I wasn't going to renew and, um, and, and, or that I was, I said I was going to maybe renew based on these things. So you would have thought that there was like a, there would have been like a full court press to maintain my business and there wasn't. Sure. Yeah. And, and, but then they told me the door is always open. And in any event, I wasn't happy with the customer service. And I do feel it was generational because the, the people were, a lot younger than us, about 15 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I do think, and that's a whole, that could be a whole I'm other so podcast. sad that that kind of thing. And it's not that either of us, I'm sure we're very much more reasonable because we do own businesses. It's not like, yeah. But I've grappled like with, do I say yeah. something? I haven't, I don't know. Do I, I'm, should I give, should I give this woman who owns her own agency some advice? Yeah. I don't know. I always wonder this. Sometimes I say, you know, I'm a business owner myself and I understand. And, um, and, and most of the time I just drop it because I think, wow, that's not going to go well for them. Yes. That's so that's all that we can do. So in my building the business phase, I got very, I mean, I have very close partners and, and it's NBC happens to be a very close partner. The, the main NBC, the brand NBC, um, the ones at 30 Rock and they're, you know, I built relationships with them over the last 15, 20 years, 15 years. And so they, I would say they made me a company. So they gave us a very big job, me and my partner, who's a creative director and also a director. And um, it's funny when they gave us the job, I was like, oh, we're a company. Like we made a logo and we're very good at it. We both had been running our other companies. I ran my, <clears throat> excuse me. I ran my last company, so I had the skills. I maintained the clients, which is all the only skill you ever need. Um, and so transitioning to my own company was pretty flawless. Um, and the things I didn't know, which was the, you know, the accounting and the financial um, business side, the really those intricacies, you know, one of my business partners does that. So, um, so we got this very big job from NBC and then we started getting a lot of jobs and some of them were tiny and some of them, you know, I took all the tiny jobs, even if my company didn't make money. Um, and this is crazy because this was 2019. I mean, we formed a company in 2018 and it was like this, um, January 1st of 2019 was when our company started. So we had a full year and everyone in our industry was like, wow, I can't believe this Haley and Sam did this. And, um, this is crazy. And all the people in our business, you know, and then one year later was, was, uh, the oh. pandemic. So I, I, and, and I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, that was a fun 
year. Great. We did a company for a year and that was good. We learned a lot. Um, and then it just so happened that the pandemic actually made us into a bigger, better company, which is crazy. How when so? I, How okay. So? so I didn't answer your but question think, about the clients, but yeah, I, well, I do. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I do want you tell us who your clients are. That can be a very quick thing. I just want people to know the magnitude by which we are doing. Okay. This. Um, so NBC is a huge client of mine. Not only do I do their like branding campaigns and commercials, but I do shows, special shows for them, which I did want two of them for Ruth Bader Ginsburg when she was um, in her final couple months of her life. Um, I, okay. So Saatchi, um, which is a huge agency is one of my clients and we do, um, I do all of press campaigns at the moment. Um, I work for ABC. I work for Netflix. I work for Amazon. I work for a few other agencies that I don't know. They're big, but I don't know if it translates across this platform. Um, I've worked for Nike, Under Armour. Um, I will say when people wait. ask me when I've brought you up, I'm like, she does the bachelor promos. Oh, okay. That's a funny, it's so funny. I mean, I because just, I think that that's, that definitely translates here. And I think that that's okay. really major. <laughs> I did the, um, a very large bachelor launch spot for Michelle Young. Um, and to be honest, it's not even what I do so much anymore in my world. You almost want to graduate from doing show promos into commercials and, and more like I do a lot of film, like I do a lot of films for brands. So when I go back into a promo world, um, it has to be really special. And I, I definitely want to keep, maintain my own brand of who I am. So when they brought me in, they brought me in as a total like guest director specialist of um, I'm in a, a little bit of a different universe now. And I don't say that as if I was too good for that because I certainly was not. Um, but because I was such a fan of The Bachelor, I was like beyond excited about it. And I felt like it made my life. However, while I, I, I do, I do think it was beautiful and it was such an amazing experience and it was a huge shoot. We were in a mansion and it was 20,000 square foot mansion and I had a big crew and all sorts of toys. Um, I did feel like I went back in time a little bit with the people that I worked with at ABC. And that was really unfortunate. And I'm, I, and I'm, I'm happy to say that here because I don't like going back in time and I don't like, you know, worrying about, you know, because I'm a woman or am I being taken advantage of, or you're trying to take money from my little company. And, um, it was an experience that, um, I learned a big lesson from, which is that, uh, you can say no. And it yes, sort of contradicts, you know, everything I said. But, and actually, but you probably need that eye opener. I needed it. So after the business, my own business became much more solidified, which was happened during the pandemic. So wait, let's go back to the pandemic yeah. because so the pandemic starts, you've shared this with me before you guys, like everything shuts down. No yeah. one's leaving their house. Like you, you told me about the moments that like you were like working from home for the first time. And you ended up making a short film during the pandemic as well. Um, Right. I made a short film that I finished on March, March 7th, 2020. You started it promoting it. Like, yeah, I had just launched it into the universe 
And I had absolutely nothing going on but cooking and taking care of my kids. And I launched this into the universe and it was a crazy film about New York City and it looked eerily empty. And a lot of people thought that we had filmed it during the pandemic, which we didn't. And so I just would sit all day waiting for to see if I got into these film <laughs> festivals. It was literally the only thing I had going. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to be a director anymore. Like as creative. So what people, was it that turned? What clicked that, that, that I was but, still a director? No, but not that you were still a director, but for your business, like, okay, you well, were worried about your business. So like, yes, so I was worried, but not as worried as one might think. I think that people, I worried about, did I worry about my reputation? I don't know. I felt like we were all in the same boat. What happened was I was supposed to do this massive job for Crystal Geyser, you know, the water bottle, yep. the, the water. Okay. And I was supposed to, and that was all supposed to happen in April of 2020. And Oh, I was also supposed to do just to mention some. I was doing a Nestle commercial at the time that got canceled and I was shooting it in Mexico City. Um, and so at, during that time, all my film world, because we interact in in the out in other parts of the world, it was all a big game of like um, cat and mouse, like who's going to cancel what? So it's very delicate because we're working with celebrities half the time. So it's, it's money, big money, you know? Yeah. So, I, so I remember we played this cat and mouse with the Nestle thing. And I said, I know, I don't think I should go to Mexico city on March uh, 20th. <laughs> so like, then they're all like, the director doesn't want to go. So she loses all her money and everyone else gets paid. And I was like, Whoa. Um, so we rewound that. We actually did get paid. And then the big job I was supposed to do for crystal geyser, we were like, the client was like, okay, let's, let's turn it into animation. And that's what a lot of people in my business did. And so my partner does animation. And so I was able to collect money and make money, not a lot, very small amount um, that was sustainable for me to like literally like feed my family. And we had to get out of the city. So we had to like pay for Airbnb. So that was enough for me to like get through. And then when all the film people came back to the world, most of us, almost all of us, we're doing things in hospitals, which is so crazy. I've never done anything in a hospital before. I'm not like a, I don't do like hospital commercials. I don't do anything that has to do with that. There are people that do that, but like suddenly that's like, that's what the world was talking about. So the first thing I did was like a bunch of commercials to like advertise like programs in hospitals because they were very afraid that people wouldn't want to like go be doctors anymore because of the pandemic. It was very relevant. I did it for no money. I'm not lying. The first thing I did back was for zero money. Okay. I just made sure the crew got paid and I made nothing, but I was like, I need to direct again. So that was August of 2020. And then this is the power of, this is what Lindsay does. So I'm just going to bring it full circle. I posted it on my Instagram and I, I, I said, I'm out there. I showed pictures of me. Like, I mean, it was very low fi It's not what I'm used to. I'm used to like very big productions. It was just like me and a camera. <laughs> and I was like, back to like, back. I'm back. And I got so many jobs. I did not stop. Not for one minute from that moment that I put that up. And I, oh, I did, I did many dove campaigns. That's another one. I I'm bringing that back. Dove is obviously a huge brand and everyone knows it. So I did a dove campaign that took me all around the country. And this is all during the pandemic. I did those two shows for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I did another Crest commercial. The Cheetos. The Cheetos was the next year. Oh. But 
but yeah. Oh, I've done Cheetos. Thank you. I, I should have had a list of them That's but okay. coming out. So, so I got so busy. It was overwhelming the amount of work. But let's I- say let's like, I want to reiterate on that fact. Like you were so worried you were going to go out of business and not be a director. Yeah. And yeah. you posted that you were back and yeah. because of your story, because of your reputation, because of your network, those are like the three yeah, things yeah, I yeah. talk about all the so, time. Yeah you're back in business and you're back in business in a bigger way than than you've ever been before. Yeah. Way. It changed my career somehow. I don't know why it changed my career. I was doing, because you just needed to let people know I was doing a film. I mean, a story I was chosen, which I had a lot of pinch me moments and I'm I'm saying it because I'm proud to make this final moments of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life through the eyes of the most important people in her life. That in that call in that moment, I was like, "What the fuck is happening? Like, how is this even happening to me?" It was also not a lot of money at all, but they were like, "We chose you. We want a woman. We want a female voice. We know you can go in and be with her family, embed yourself in her family," which I did in the final six weeks of her life, and they needed someone they could trust. So it was all coming off a very sensitive time of the world. And that was such a big deal. And then when that happened, then I got this call to do this stuff for Dove. And um, so, but the flip side of all of that happening with my career was um, my family was fine because we did everything in New York, was the responsibility that I took on as a business owner during that time and during the pandemic was enormous. And because I'm the type of person who is this client service say yes to everything, became very big. It became big and maybe almost too big at times for me and my small company. And so, but how did you balance that as a working mom? Because Um, that I feel like so many of us who have our own companies and are doing big things in, in our own right, have this, have this like internal struggle. Right. And it's like, how do you figure it out? And like, you are such an amazing hands-on mom. I've seen you like, like I, and I, I, like, I love when I see like your pictures with your kids and, and everything, but like, how do you manage that? Um, I don't always manage it. Um, I, I do is the best I can. So we had no pair for a long time, which, which really helped. Um, but to combine the pandemic, the company, me feeling like I had to do all these directing jobs to get back, And especially after my kids had spent so much quality time with me, um, I would say that was probably the most challenging time I've ever faced. However, we were shooting so much in New York City that my family had never experienced that. So, you know, I'm shooting like spring scenes in a blizzard, which was fun and ridiculous. And that won't ever happen again. So I think being home made it possible. My kids came on set. So all those things actually made it possible to be a mom. And I'm also a ridiculous multitasker. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast. As I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast, Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. 
Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. One of the things that I wanted to to bring up and that I love about you, and we kind of touched upon this in, in the beginning, is that you've built your own world. Like you don't like fit into other people's molds. No. Like, you say this is these are my parameters, and <laughs> I'm and I'm gonna if you want me. This is how it's going to be. And I think too, that that is something a lot of female founders, a lot of employees are really afraid to do, but yet you have done it. You have done it successfully and you have really, you know, built you. That's how you've built your, your business. And that's why people love you. And I think that that is so amazing. And, and like, you don't, hold back. Like you say what you want to say and you say, nope, these, this is, I'm going to go get my hair done. I'm going to do this. And Ah. you're going to have to like, you do what you need to do. And that is why it has worked for you. Yeah. There's a charm and a ridiculousness to it. And it doesn't, it works with most people and it works with enough people. And if it doesn't work for them, it's fine with me. And I think uh, one example of that is um, because I do these really, really large projects with NBC. And I have, I also like to like maintain myself as a woman. And I think that that's really important. And I think um, you'll find that a lot of successful women are like, I'm going to get my hair done. I'm going to have my nails done. I'm going to have a facial. And not, this is not just like frivolous. Mm. These are not like monies. I just want to wait. This is an important part of rejuvenating yourself when you have so many things going on. And I remember I had this huge meeting with NBC. I mean, it was the meeting where they were like, every single person on the network is going to be on. We're talking about the Kardashians wardrobe, like everyone's wardrobe for this big shoot. And you need to be on. You're the director. And like, we won't really call on you a lot, but you need to be on. And I was like, fine, I will be on that call. And it was like three hours. And in my head, I was like, but I have a fucking hair appointment and my hair is getting to be a little too gray. And so I am not going to, and I've never ever, I, I'm not sure I've ever canceled a hair appointment for anything. It's fine. And I have to do it. And so I had this huge meeting and like, nobody was talking to me at all. And I was like, this is great. I'm about to go. And if anyone gets their hair color, they know like when, after you sit and wait, then you have to go in the tub and then they rinse you. And so like 35 minutes I had, like, if anyone called on me, I'm doing nothing. And the biggest issue would be is if I I have my phone or something touches the color, like around my ears, you know, if I have to talk and I start getting, you know, I didn't imagine that when I went under the tub, it would be like the one moment where like 75 people from NBC are going to be like, and Haley, our director would like to speak to it. And I'm in the tub and like all the water is like going down my face. And like the, you know, they're like doing the rinse and I'm like, they're like Haley. And I was like, um, 
it just to be like funny, I took, I put the video on my phone and I showed everyone like, this is a funny time for me to talk. And I shut it really quick. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure like there's like, you but know, you have to have balls to do that, something like that. 70 of them were probably like, that's so fucking funny. And five of them were probably horrified by me. And but that, those yeah. are my statistics. People are like, most people are think it's funny, charming and ridiculous. And then there's like 5% of people that think are horrified by me. But I don't I don't really care. And I don't do it to be like a clown. I do it because this is like real life. And, you know, when the pandemic started, people were afraid their kids were going to walk in their room. And I'm like, I feel like that's kind of always been me. Um, and I've always embraced this. this and, and I'm. it's so interesting that you notice how I have created the world around me. And if there's big clients, I don't care who they are, sports, male skewed, female skewed, whoever they are, I say, um, I can't, if you really want me as a director, I can't do it that day. That's my kid's first day of school. I have changed trips around the world based on my kid's first day of school, which I won't miss. I, I literally changed a trip to China and Thailand for like 40 people because it, they initially wanted us to leave on September 10th. And that was my kid's first day of school. And then I also came back to make sure I was there for Halloween for my some other something. Um, that is becoming a little bit harder now. I think my kids have more things. They're, they're getting a little bit older. So some things, you know, the, the in-class performance which I kind of now have to weigh. And I'm sure you know this, yeah. Lindsay, like, do I go to the one where the parents are just sitting in class versus a recital? And this is where I'm at exactly right now in this day is I'm about to juggle about 25 things from May to June that include my career, my kids going to camp. And I May to, to June film. is the busiest time yes. for moms yes. other than September. Yes. yes. So yes. So, and, and I have a film that I just made that I just finished like today. We talked a little bit at the beginning before we hopped on about managing your emotions. And I think that this is a really interesting topic, especially for female entrepreneurs. And when I think, like, I think about um, a lot of the conversations I've had here with female founders who have, you know, gone into these like investment meetings and you know, they have told me just how they have to dress a certain way and act a certain way and, um, and whatnot in order to get funding for their business. And it's such a male dominated field. And you too work in a very male dominated field. You worked in sports for a really long time. So talk to me a little bit about how it is that you've remained confident and that you've stood tall and that you have learned to separate the emotion from the job. So there's, there's um, one thing I'm really good at, and I've really trained myself so hard. I think it took me like 10 years of being not sensitive to things around my job. And I, I worked really hard because I'm a sensitive person. And if it's something personal, I will cry in two seconds. Like Lindsay started saying something in the beginning and I was about to cry and because it's personal and we've known each other forever. But if it's about my job, and someone says to me, but this took years, I don't like your film. And even though I just I put all my own money into it, I invested into it, I, oh, the story is about me. I would be like, cool, what did it you like? Tell me more. And no emotion whatsoever, which I think is the greatest skill all women should adopt. Take nothing personal, okay? Nothing personal figure it out. So the way that I did it was I was at ESPN 
and I'm just telling you this story just so everyone knows that everybody does this. And people would yell at me or they would say, I don't like this. I didn't like your idea because I used to have to go into these rooms with all these men and give them ideas about fucking curveballs, which like, I don't know anything. I know now. I didn't know then. I used to have to come up with ideas about these things. And, and they would look at me in a meeting and be like, that's not a good idea. And my whole face would get like, you. everyone knows this feeling red. You want to cry. Um, or you'd have a meeting with someone and they'd say, you're just not as good as this person. They said all these crazy things, which really trained me. And I would cry. I did cry. I did cry right to their face. Um, I don't know if that, I don't really know the real impact of what that did to my career, but, um, I started what I think what it was is I had a boss who said so many outrageously candid things to me that I, I I mean, so many times over and over again, you listen to it. And so what I would do is um, I would like really train myself, like, don't cry, almost go to another place. Okay. And when it was about my career, because they're not talking about you personally. Okay. Sometimes people are just trying to help your career. Now, I don't know if it's the greatest strategy, but I am a very straightforward person, even when I deliver feedback to people. And so I've been working on that my whole career as well, is how to be a, a good manager and how to give feedback. So I do remember all these moments. I used to work on Sports Center, and I I actually became very good friends with Linda Cohn. She was a, a she still is a very well known sports anchor. And I used to tell her all these things. I don't know if she coached me on this or not, but I would. I, oh, I know. I would run into her in the bathroom. I would run to the bathroom when I wanted to cry, and I would be like me and these like Linda Cohn and other female sports anchors in there, and they would be like, "What's going on?" And I would, my whole face was like, and sometimes I would just cry just in there so I could get it out. And then I would run back out and I would like, I'm ready to receive your feedback, you know, to all these, these men who were like, so I thought it was evil at the time, but I no longer think that that's evil. And I think that that is the biggest difference between men and women is, and I give credit to men for this. And I have men have been a major part of my career. They're not actually trying to offend you. They just don't have the same emotional IQ that we have. And They're honestly, not I find often to your point, they cut to the chase. They cut to the chase. And that is how yeah. I grew up in my career. I grew up where I had to change all of a sudden everything I ever took personal in life. You know, I'm a woman. I took everything personal. I, I really was, didn't have a great handle on my own emotions, which is fine. And I totally, and I, I, I know how to read women really well and men. But I took, I, I thought this is a great exercise for me. So I'm, when I say this story in three minutes, uh, it took me 10 years. And, and then I really realized that I'm still actually succeeding. That was the greatest part. I was like succeeding and they were telling me they didn't like something. And I'll never forget, I did this one big open for Sports Center once. And I went up to my boss, the same guy that was like, they called him like Darth Vader. And he didn't really like anyone, but he liked me. And I walked up to him and I was like, Mike, and I still talk to this guy. What did you think? We did this like whole American Idol open. It was when American Idol was really big. I had like the top guys on like Stuart Scott. They were like singing on SportsCenter. And I came up with this whole idea. And he looks at me and I spent so much time. I was so stressed <laughs> running around this place. And I said, Mike, what did you think? It was like two minutes after it ran. And he goes, didn't work. Like, oh my this God. was a pivotal time in my career. And I looked at him and I was like, wait, what? He goes, it didn't work. And I go, 
okay. And I left and I walked away and it changed my life forever because I was like, oh my God, this person still thinks I'm good at my job. Such good advice. And that was the most pivotal moment of my career. He said it didn't work. And I was like, my chin fell to the floor. And I was like, laughed. And I was like, okay, I'm still good at what I do. And I take that into everything. I'm telling you, I just made a movie. I'm sure there's a million people who don't like it. It doesn't matter. Because what I did is I fucking made it. You just have to, you have to do it. These are such good lessons and this such good stories. So thank you for sharing them because I know too that I know it's hard sometimes to, to like let the curtain back and, and let people into your history and share these kind of anecdotes. But I do think it's the anecdotes that are what stick with people when they're thinking about their own business. So, and you have been filled with them today, um, which I love. It's what I love about you. Um, you're a great storyteller, obviously. That's what you do for a living. Um, okay. Last question, Haley. Um, I want you to tell me three things you would tell another female founder that is prepared to take a leap. What would you tell her? Well, a lot of it, I'm sure I've said, but I'm going to try and summarize it. Um, you don't need to be fully prepared. You don't need, this goes together. You don't need to have all the money. You don't need to be in the exact right place at the right time. Okay. And that, and I say that, it's the exact same advice I tell people who like deciding to have a baby. It's the never same. Never a good time. It's never a good time. Okay. I give this advice all the time. Just fucking go for it. Just go for it. Okay. Failure is great. Go f- fail and think you're doing something awful and wrong and that it was a big mistake. It's so cliche, but fail. <laughs> Please fail. Um, and my my third piece of advice, let me think. Um, well, I would say don't take money from people, but that's different. I mean, take money from people. I don't take money from people. I should maybe though. That's a question maybe. That's a question we should throw out there. Um, don't be afraid to out earn your partner. Because that's it's hard. hard. Because it's hard. That's a hard thing. It is a hard thing, but I think it's great advice. So Haley Geffen, founder of Coed Studios, thank you for sharing your world with us today and for enlightening us with so many bits of wisdom and all of your stories. I cannot wait to see your latest short film and I cannot wait to see where this goes next. Thank you, Lindsay. You're amazing. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed sharing it with you. And as I mentioned earlier, all the takeaways and all the lessons that that you've learned from Haley today were so graciously displayed in her stories that she shared. I hope that you remember the stories and walk away from this conversation feeling more empowered to make the decisions that will propel you forward in your everyday life. I'll be sending out my takeaways to my email list. Make sure that you subscribe in the link in the show notes. When you do, you'll also get a lesson every single week to help you grow your own business. But for now, here are five takeaways from today's episode. Number one, when you build a business, utilize the relationships that you have to get your first jobs. Number two, you can always say no. It might seem like a contradiction when you're starting your company, but you can. Number three, 
tell people on your social media what you're doing. This will help you solicit jobs and clients. You think that it won't, but when you tell people what it is you're doing and you're specific about it and how you can help them, they absolutely will respond. Number four, it's okay to be yourself, to set your own parameters and to just be you. Even with big executives and big wigs, it is okay to be yourself. Number five, set parameters, set boundaries and stick to them. If people want you and want to work with you, they will respect them. If you like what you're hearing on Dear Founder, please make sure that you take out that phone, scroll all the way down and click that five-star rating or leave a review. When you do this, it helps others to find our amazing guests and their stories that we share each and every week. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever it is that you listen. That way you'll never miss an episode. If you know someone who wants to start their own business or who has an idea, please text them this episode or tag me on Instagram and I'll share some of those to say thank you. Stay tuned for another episode of Dear Found Her coming your way every Tuesday and Thursday.